Welcome to the At YouTube Podcast, episode number 78. We, are, uh, we talk all things U2, album news, tour dates, community discussions from the staff of at u2.com. And for this episode, you've got, uh, hopefully it won't be confusing to the audio or I guess visual folks too, <laughs> to Chris's, but uh, our voices I think are different enough that it won't be too confusing. So when I'm calling Chris, Chris, he's calling me Chris. Well, yeah, anyways, Chris Randall, Andronall is here on the show. Welcome, Chris. Hi, guys. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be talking about, I'm just going to fade that out there, uh, we're going to be talking about the music of U2, which isn't that surprising, but a bit more in the uh, musical theory department of U2, and specifically a few songs we sort of, well, Chris, Chris cherry-picked from Songs of Experience. Uh, Chris is the assistant professor of music at Florida Gulf Coast University, so he has actual, um, what, I guess, training? <laughs> Yeah, training, you're, credentials. You're looking, yeah, yeah, credentials. Sure. All the things we usually lack on this podcast when we're talking about things, <laughs> sharing our opinions, which are you know very informed and very lots of experience, but uh, we don't have a, a thing on the wall behind us or whatever that says uh, we're a professor or assistant professor. So you've written- uh, Professional nerd. Yeah, three, you've written one of hopefully many more theoretically speaking columns on, on at you too, and you've got one in the works. And so this is kind of a bit of a- what I like to call, and a friend of mine, Dave, calls mouth blogging, where we uh, kind of like help maybe spur on your brain in, and uh, eventually it becomes a, an actual written column. But uh, um, yeah, so basically what we've, you've sort of highlighted or picked out four, hopefully four if we have time to get to, songs from Songs of Experience. And uh, I don't know, how do you want to tackle this, this? The first one up is Red Flag Day, you said. and Yeah, well, actually... Um the first three um, that, that are on our list here, Red Flag Day, Little Things, and American Soul, I'm, I'm approaching uh, these songs from the aspect of rhythm and meter um, and you know, zooming out even, even further how that's related to songs of experience and its perspective because it's told from kind of a zoomed out perspective of you know, we're, we're writing letters now to our loved ones based on our experiences, giving them advice that we have learned or the, that the band has learned and passing it on to, to, their, to their loved ones. And so it's songs of innocence and songs of experiences. It's a, it's a chronology, really. It's, it's, a, it's a story of U2 from both ends, right? Mm-hmm. So um, U2 plays with time and meter in, in these songs, um, particularly in, in Red Flag Day and Little Things. It's, it's, teeny tiny in American Soul, so I guess I can start with that. Um, in American Soul, when, when the guitar and the drums first come in, you know, with the boom, boom, um, as Kendrick Lamar is finishing his rap, um, you know, it goes boom, boom, and then, and then we've got a measure, and then it goes boom, boom again, and then we've got a measure. And then it comes in um, two beats later instead of a full four beats later. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's pressing the matter, it's, and it, it, it's kind of a rushed entrance, if you will. Um, kind of taking the listener by surprise and you know that that could be interpreted in any number of ways but i i i see that as kind of reflecting the urgency of the song the urgency of the lyrics you know he's looking for the american soul because where is it gone right is essentially what what he's saying and so you know that's that's a big topic and we can't wait to start looking for it we got to find it so that's kind of why it it, it rushes yeah to start and it's it's interesting to think i know um Maybe a lot of a lot of folks listen to you too and think it's kind of just happenstance. It's it's um, some of those kinds of things. Maybe are 
what's this, whatever the opposite of intentional, unintentional, I guess, um, and random. But I think, I mean, we, you and I don't know, obviously, we haven't seen a recording process that you two has, we haven't been a fly on the wall, so to speak. But given just the way even this on this in lead up to this album, the way Bono talked about edges, um, just <laughs> desire to go every over every little note, redo yeah. things, song order, you know, tempo, all that stuff, and and sort of figure everything out. You have to think as the scientist of the band, as he's been called, I guess, that so much of this is not just random. They just sort of happen to, you know, Larry decided to kick it in there instead of earlier or later or whatever, oh, yeah. you know? And so uh, it's kind of fun to dissect and, and pick into this stuff and, and give it a bit more, um, I don't know, a visual or not visual, a thematic weight in, in terms of when you're listening to this, the album, I think. So absolutely. Absolutely. And um, stuff of uh, issues of artist intent comes up in my classes all the time. I, I, I bring in lots of different kinds of music for us to analyze and the issue of, did the, in this case, did, did the band uh, know all this, all this stuff is in there? Maybe, maybe not. Did, did they intend for all of this stuff to be in there? Maybe, maybe not. A lot of it, I would say yes, but some of the finer details, maybe, maybe not, but that's not really the point. <laughs> the point isn't, isn't whether they meant it to be there. The point is that it's there and that, you know, someone like me or someone like you with, with enough practice or with enough listenings can, can hear that. And that's the important thing. Yeah. Plus it gives us content for a podcast when we <laughs> stuff <laughs> to talk about. Importantly, <laughs> yes, it gives us content to fill the internet. Yeah. And I, I was going to say too, just in the interest of legality and all that kind of stuff, we're not able to play back music, which would obviously be the most fun way to do this is play the song, pause it, go back, listen to the stuff, talk it through, you know, all that kind of stuff, which someday, I mean, if you two's lawyers are out there and want to give us a signed over, we did it a bit when we did the album by album stuff where we played sort of a 15 second sample, but that doesn't really help us here. Cause we kind of want to just dissect a song as much as we want. And, uh, and so anyways, if, if you two's lawyer happens to be out there somewhere in, in the internet land listening to this and wants to give us a, whatever, uh, some sort permission. of legal paperwork yeah. permission, then we'd love to do that in, in greater depth. But for now you'll just have to maybe pause the podcast, listen to the song again, whatever Chris, Chris brings up and we bring up and, and listen for her again. So, um, but yeah, sorry, I sort of diverted us down a little rabbit trail there, but, uh, no, anything cool. more with American that, soul? No, that, that, that was it. I, I, I just thought that, that the intro was interesting that, that it, that it rushed in. Um, but really the, the, the two songs that, that stuck out for me, um, both aesthetically and lyrically, but also with this whole time thing where, was, were Red Flag Day and um, Little Things. Um, in Red Flag Day, you know, the chorus, there, there, there are three sections to the chorus. There's, there's the first part where he sings, Baby does, does Red Flag Day, and it's just Bono's vocals and the guitar. And then we get the full chorus. And then, and then the third section, we, we have the vocal echo of Red Flag Day, hey, hey. Um, and it's that third section where the drums shift into halftime. So, it, so it, it, it seemingly brings the tempo of the song down, um, which, which, which is an interesting rhythmic property because the rhythm of the, of the rest of the instruments doesn't really change. The, the meter of the rest of the instruments doesn't, doesn't really change. But that shift in time in the drums also echoes kind of a wave effect that goes on in the vocals because Bono's lead vocals, it's, it's very, you know, really short rhythmic values. And then the, the echo, red flag day, hey, so we get longer, we get quarter notes, we get dotted quarter notes. And then the hey, hey, the note values get even longer. So it's kind of a, you know, short notes, longer notes, longer notes. So the, the rhythm of the lyrics has, has a little wave effect, which kind of mirrors the, the change in time that, that we hear in the drums. 
I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that is. And I, it's something that I wouldn't have even picked. I don't like, um, musically even trying to play along to it as I was doing the other day on the guitar and stuff. And like, I wouldn't have necessarily picked that out. I think, um, rhythmically, if I was, I was probably more paying attention to the specific notes than any rhythm I was sure. butchering when I was trying to play along <laughs> on one of the guitars back there. But, um, and, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that way, and you can totally see that in the studio, like sort of like intentionally trying to like layer things to sort of give that wave effect as they, as they sort of finish the song or hit the chorus or whatever. And, um, Cause it's, it's an interesting sounding song just for you two in 2018 to be right. playing like stylistically or whatever. It sounds kind of different than what we've heard from you two. And, yeah. and it, it gives me hope even just musically that they're being really creative, like that you pick out on something like that, that they're it's, it isn't just uh Larry putting in his time as a drum drummer boy or whatever, you know, right. there's some, right. Actually, um, uh, working on red flag day, I, I, I was showing, uh, during our preparations, I was showing everybody, but I, I was transcribing the drum parts, and Larry is an underrated drummer, folks. Yeah. Um, it's just, and, and if you don't believe me, try to play how he plays, but even more, try to transcribe his drum parts, <laughs> and they are crazy hard. They, well, they are deceptively difficult. Um, you know, they're, they're not necessarily as complicated as some other fancier drummers out there, but the, I, I don't think they're any less... Uh, difficult because he has so much syncopation and just little details on offbeats that it's you know it it, it reflects his wrong style of drumming which makes him unique <laughs> yeah exactly which is a similar you know attribute often attributed to edge too is that yes, he's absolutely. too simple he just uses delay it's it's he's lazy you know or whatever and like he doesn't have to hit the note that many times he uses echo or whatever and so like but um but yeah often all those little subtle there's so many little subtle touches and tones that you hear when you actually dig deeper or pay attention to the music that you know he did that if it wasn't completely intentionally he was very happy with the accident when it happened uh sure. like yeah. solos and stuff well and you know uh you two collectively have have never shied away from the fact that they were they weren't formally trained as young children um and they know that and that's part of the reason why edge got into the echo in the first place but then you know once you get past that you know Playing in playing in front of a in front of eighty thousand people with an echo is really hard because there's already an echo. Yeah. So there's an echo on an echo with eighty thousand people echoing your echo. I mean, people who've never performed on stage or have never gone into a studio may not may not realize that that's hard. It's really really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and especially for other people playing along with you, I think that's where the, for the drummer and the bass, like the rhythm section, because you, yeah. you hear a little uh, glimmer of, I've only done a, a, have you ever done a YouTube cover night in any form as an instrumentalist or whatever, ever played like covers? For, uh, like, no, but I have, no, but I've, I've, uh, I've sung my fair share of uh, very serious YouTube karaoke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's like, yeah, some liquid courage or not, but the, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like you just throw a delay in the mix and all of a sudden the drummer is like, supposed to come in but he hears the wrong you know not the actual <laughs> strum but the yeah, echo right. or whatever and yeah it it throws things off very quickly so uh, that's where some of these songs like it it's uh again in 2018 with you two the band that they are musicians that they are i'm really curious to see how well they're going to perform some of this stuff live because it is complicated and it is a lot of like random entries and exits and, and seeing the, I don't, I'm sure you saw and listened to the BBC live um, recording that just before Christmas. And like, so that gave me a lot of, not that I was worried they weren't going to be able to perform the songs, but like just hope for like 
they're going to pull this off like in and not just a studio recording, but actually like live, I think. Right. And you know, even though I'm not a, not a huge fan of that, of the, that video of little things that was released on, on Spotify, I'm not a huge fan of that arrangement of the song, but seeing them perform my favorite song from that album, you know, even if it is for a music video, I, I, I was, I, that gave me, that got me really excited. I'm like, Oh my God, they can do it live. Okay. Let's, so let's actually hear it live. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing that one. So then, um, yeah, why don't we go on to Little Things since you're... That's a good yeah, song. all right. So, um, well, Little Things captivates my, my, my attention on a, on a lot of levels. This, this is the song that hit me immediately. Um, but listening to it further, um, my favorite part of, of this song is the second half with that huge, huge, literally two-minute crescendo. Um, but it's a crescendo on a lot of levels. Okay, so first of all, dynamically. It, it it goes from very very tiny and just the piano and, vo- and Bono's vocals all the way to you know the full texture with the echo and the big drums and bass and everything. So of course there's a dynamic crescendo, and there's a melodic crescendo too because Bono's vocals get more intense. But there's also a metrical crescendo as well where halfway through it shifts into double time. So it's kind of the reverse of what happens in Red Flag Day. So you know the first the first part of Little Things is 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 really slow, right? Uh, with, with the bass, um, the bass is on fast notes, but it's you know it's a, it's 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 a really slow tempo, and in the middle of that big build after the first, um, the end is not coming. The end is here. Sometimes it, it after a long uh, transition, um, the the tempo shifts to double time, which is you know you two hardly ever does this, but mm-hmm. it's awesome to hear this, and it's a great place to do it, and the shift to double time happens um, kind of organically and, and, and it happens kind of like the sound is layered. So it's, it's kind of a metrical layer where the edges echo comes in and you can tell that it's kind of previewing the shift into double time, but the rest of the texture is still in that, in that really slow half time. And then Adam's bass picks up the tempo a little bit. And then you have some of the other background guitars pick up the tempo, but Larry's drums are still kind of holding it back. And then a couple of layers of Larry's drums, namely the snare, starts going, but the kick drum is still holding it back. And then, and then after the first time Bono sings, the end is near, everything breaks down and it's, and it's fast time from there. And what's interesting to me about that is, again, the, the link I think it makes to the perspective of time that Songs of Experience addresses. Um, well, and, and that both songs of, of innocence and experience mm-hmm. address. It's, it's looking at time from the beginning and the end, so from both sides of it. Yeah, and that's uh, the sort of rush, rushing time signature, as it, as it were, in that song. It's like the end is coming, the end is not. It's exactly. Not, yeah, or it's not coming, the end is here. Like we're already, we're actually at the end. It's not that someday we're going to die, someday we're going to, life is over. It's actually now. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and I know the, <laughs> I think, I don't know if it's a, a dad thing, a parent thing, maybe of being awake at four in the morning when all the darkness is swarming. Oh man. That, I mean, that's a that universal. Line. Oh, yeah. Oh, that line slays me, <laughs> slays me, you know, because, and, and this is, this is Bono talking to himself, right? This is old Bono talking to, talking to younger Bono. And that's also another reason why the song resonates with me is, is I can, I can see myself going back in time and talking to 18 year old me <laughs> and, and, you know, being like, your big mouth is getting in the way, dude, yeah. come on. Yeah. You know, um, it, and just that build is so dramatic, um, but it's it's a build in in lots of elements, which I think is fascinating. And it's fascinating 
all the more because these guys are pushing 60 and they're still doing things musically that they haven't done before. And, you know, it's not that they're the first to do this. It's just it's the first time they're doing it. That's amazing. Yeah, musically at this stage, most artists you would think, uh, unless you're Sting, maybe or, or whatever, are yeah, like right. are basically kind of like settling into the routine of what they've done, uh, and you know the greatest hits tours and all that kind of stuff. And so, to even, I mean, I think I, I'm sure there's other songs that that come that would be like this, but you know, where the streets have no name with the, the differing time signatures from the intro yeah. to the rest of the song or whatever, and sort of the struggle they had to get that done, and thinking like, why would they want to go back to that sort of struggle in various ways and they, the simple thing to do would be to just play it easy and straight, straightforward, obviously, throughout the song. And so, yeah, just being willing to go there, being willing to try something, being willing to push themselves still at this stage of the game. Um, it's admittedly, I think, to the um, unmusical connected ear, I guess, it sounds like a fairly straightforward U2 song. Like it has the all the hallmarks of a U2 song of old, I guess, or whatever, with the, the especially the, the crescendo and the, the ending um, and the build and all that kind of stuff. But but there is still elements, like you pointed out, I think that sort of point out that it's, it's, it is, but it's got some layers to it and some depth that's worth. Yeah, well, and, and, and even formally, you know, like we keep referring to that second half as a build, but what do you call it? Is it a coda? Is it, is it an extended chorus? Is it, I mean, you know, so, and, and form is my research specialty in, in music theory. So I'm, so I'm, I'm really interested in what we call things, right? I'm music theorists are interested in, in terminology. So what do you call this thing? So even, even pushing the boundaries of, of, of form and, and structure, it's, you know, this, this band is not just playing, uh, your standard pop tunes they're they are pushing they're they're pushing which yeah. is good <laughs> yeah because you've got the chorus of obviously it's little things that give you away the words you cannot say that's like would be the chorus right of yeah. a song yep. but then yep. yeah once oh, that oh. stops we've got like a, a a length of like you said either coda or something that's like as long as the rest of the song the previous yeah it's, it's literally the second half of the song yeah so yeah. i don't know what you call it yet which you know might be my next research paper oh. is this their uh like stairway to heaven their <laughs> oh i don't know <laughs> their but... november rain <laughs> moment here <laughs> no not quite on that level of production maybe but uh yeah um so then from i guess we talked american soul was there more yeah. you sort of wanted to do that one but then also the best thing about me was another. Yeah, well, um, our our fellow staffer Sherry asked asked this question um, of uh, well, let me pull up the her question um, key changes in the songs, and she says, and I'm quoting here, the ones where Bono's struggling with depression and optimism. Does the music key change in some way? In in the same way, excuse me. How does the music structure mirror the content of the lyric? And the first song that that came to mind on this album was uh, "You're the Best Thing About Me," and the choruses are in a different key from the verses. Um, the verses center around F-sharp, and um, the choruses center around D, which is also interesting because um, I used this class uh, last semester in the same class that I used Beethoven, because Beethoven has Beethoven and a lot of the romantic composers have key relationships that are very similar. We, we, we call these chromatic mediant or chromatic third relationships. That's really nerdy music theory talk there, but... <laughs> Um, well, and the, and I, used, I was gonna say but, the lazy but, guitar player nerds or whatever, like me are just like, Hey, that sounds kind of cool. That's the, yeah. <laughs> that's the, the layman's term. <laughs> it's essentially shifting up four frets. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> what we're talking about here. Um, but I found it interesting because U2 uses 
a similar harmonic principle as Beethoven and Schubert uses it and Schumann uses it. So, you know, a, a lot of the things that I talk about in the classical realm also has examples here in, here in the pop realm. But um, that, that different key change in the verses and lyrics is, I, I think, tied to, you know, the voice that Bono takes in the verses versus the voice that he takes in the chorus of You're the Best Thing About Me. Because in the verses, you know, or, sorry, in, in the choruses, he's singing to somebody and, and about somebody. You're the best thing about me, right? So it's in D major. It's in a bright key. It's, it's, very, it, it's a very positive sounding section. Not that the verses don't sound positive, but it centers on F sharp, but not really F sharp major. It's more like F sharp, maybe mixolydian, so major-ish, minor-ish type thing. We don't really know. It's, it's, it's quite modal. But the lyrics of the verses have, have a different tone to them. So mm-hmm. different tone of lyrics, different key. Yeah, that makes sense. Which when you're, if you're listening and you're non, non-musical, and even for me, when I was playing it, I, I don't claim to be super musical, especially because I don't even know what mixolydian means, but um, <laughs> I just, those are the, I, you know, when you see a chord on the thing and it's like F sharp major seven, and then that's where I stop. I don't worry about what it says after that. That's about as far as I go. <laughs> but the, uh, uh, when it, it sort of transitions from the core or the verse to the chorus in that song, there's a bit of like a. I don't know. You can sort of feel it in your gut of like a, uh, like there's something, something changed. And I'm not sure. It sounds almost like the, it's two different recordings that they slammed together, but yeah, because it's a key change without a, a transition chord or any sort of like leading you into that key change the way, uh, you know, when a big eighties ballad rock ballad is like, you know, meatloaf is going to the next yeah, <laughs> change. Bah, of key. Bah, bah, yep. Yeah. It's just like, no, we're going from here to here. And then we're going to switch right back and uh, not really give you any sort of warning, um, which is, um, it's one of those things where it can go wrong or it can go really right. And I feel like yeah. it went pretty right here, but I could sense, I could feel like maybe folks listening to the song would think something's not quite right with that song. And I don't know what it is. And I don't you like, you know, the first time, the first few times I, I listened to it, I had that exact feeling. I was like, okay, I don't not like the song, but something is odd about it. And, and then I sat down at the piano. I was like, oh, that's what's <laughs> odd about it. And all of a sudden it's not odd. It's actually cool. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's nerdy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where it's like nothing actually changed about the song, but you just appreciate there's another layer to it that was intentional, presumably, and uh, now yeah. it's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's it, uh, that's that's part of the reason why um, why I love my job. It gives me a chance. It, it gives me tools and, and vocabulary to dissect some of my favorite music. So, so the um, what would it be? The bridge where um, Edge is singing. I can see it all so clearly. I can see you what yeah. you can't see. That would still be in D. Is it? Yeah, it, right? That's, it is indeed. The... Um, and actually, I, I, I was listening to it earlier today, and, and even the drumming pattern and, um, and the, the, the layers that Larry emphasizes is in the verses is different from the chorus. In the chorus, he, has, he, he, he rides the hi-hat a lot. Um, in the verses, um, he does the ride cymbal more often than, than the hi-hat. So it's, it's not just the pattern, but it's also, you know, which drums and which cymbals he's, he's emphasizing. So, you know, these guys are keenly aware, I think, of their, their own music and, and what they are doing with their respective instruments and how it's contributing to everything. Um, these guys are underrated, I think. Yeah. And it'll be like, we won't have, um, there's a whole bunch of new producers on this album, like Ryan Tedder is one or whatever, yeah. but where, you know, we don't know what level of influence and how much influence they had over the album musically. Um, there's obviously the, um, summer of love, um, has the throwbacks or, or roots in, um, what's his band? One Republic's, 
uh, right. rhythm or whatever or that they came up with maybe or whatever. But um, if they do another album, presumably if it critically is acclaimed as it seems to be, and if they maybe do Songs of Ascent with a similar sort of crew of people, I guess we'll sort of figure out maybe how much influence there was from, from them versus um, just not saying that edge and Adam and Larry aren't doing it all on their own, but a producer definitely has a bit of a helping hand in some of the, oh. these kind of decisions. And so, or put, or encouraging them to do certain things or discouraging or whatever. And so it will be yeah, just interesting to see how much of that carries over into the next project if, and when we get there, but not to get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we're still, I I'm still processing songs of experience. Um, and I'm very happy to say that I haven't stopped listening to it yet. It's still, <laughs> still my go-to album on my, commute and um you know i'm still i'm still very much into it i've, I've you know scrolling through my twitter feed it, it's been a mixed reception from from the fans but you know anything yeah. anything this band does now is going to be a mixed reception right i mean i guess anything anybody does <laughs> these days is going to be a mixed reception yeah there's uh, do you know like when you you're know, putting a bit on the spot here but like um over the last not counting songs of innocence but even before that is there al- songs and albums by you two that have or put it the other way i guess albums and then maybe a specific song that sort of like drew your brain and your music theory brain as much as some of the songs have on on this release oh yeah yeah in in my dissertation um the second to last chapter were individual song analyses and i uh, and the songs i chose were among my favorites i mean streets is my absolute all-time favorite song and that that metrical shift in the beginning and then uh, and and then again at the end from three four to four four is so slick you know because the eighth note doesn't change the pulse they just add a beat they just add two more eighth notes and but it's done in such a smooth way that if you're not listening carefully you'll you, you you may not notice and yeah. that when i was when i was writing my dissertation i was like oh my god that's that's kind of cool so um adam's baseline in 40 not 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 40 in in bad is is one of my favorites um what else edges Ed, edges riff in gone i love um so yeah there, there there are lots of songs throughout their entire catalog that that appeal to me from a from a technical side both from a harmonic side and from also a, a, a form perspective as well. Yeah. And you think on this album, I, I, we have, we've sort of speaking of mouth blogging things, we, there's yeah. two or three guitar folks uh, on the, at U2 staff who are trying to like sort of figure out a way into writing something about edge and guitars and his relationship with the various guitars he's had over the years and different ones he uses and all that kind of stuff. But even just effect wise and whether it's not a specific guitar, cause I don't know that we even know yet what all he's necessarily used on this album, but um it does sonically does this album sort of like feel right like a feel like a good edge album or is there is it weird oh, you know like yeah, stuff like, yeah. like we talked about even red flag day like just sort of that slapback kind of echoey sound that he's got there and there's just some stuff that he's using and sounding um the effects that he's using that sound again kind of like edge but not edge you know and so yeah well i mean okay so let's let, let's take like um the first the first single um best thing about me right that 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 echo is signature edge right um the the echo in little things is signature echo but uh, is is signature edge but again just just like you said it's signature with a slightly modern twist to it so we all know it's edge but it doesn't necessarily sound exactly like the other echoes and to the untrained ear it might sound all all the same but um the thing i like about songs of experience is um it sounds very much like U2, a lot of it, but the, the parts sound updated, right? It, it's, it's refreshed U2 with 
callbacks to previous. So, you know, it's, it's U2 updating their style. And that's, that's what a band's supposed to do. And is that like... That's, that's what this band has always done. Yeah, yeah. They've always, I mean, they've always been, even like, I think, I'm sure there's like a, a conversation in the room of like, okay, are we going to use that echo delay again? <laughs> you know, a bit of like, because that's, I, it feels like they've gotten more, at least Edge has gotten more confident in the fact that that's a thing that is his and just use it and, you know, when it, when he needs it, pull it out and there's nothing wrong with that or whatever. There's, it seemed to be a bit of a phase they went to, his Europa era or whatever, where yeah. it was like, how much more echo stuff can i do <laughs> in this day and age or right well I, I, uh, on the um, there was an interview he did um talking about his guitars and he was talking about when they were writing all that you can't leave behind and they were struggling with it a little bit and so he whipped out his explorer and the band was like what and well he he said in the interview that the band was like what we haven't used that in years and he's like that's why we need to go back to it because right. it might have something for us and it and it turned out it did yeah. Right. So, you know, people who criticize Edge for only having the echo, it, that's, that's an incomplete view of what the Edge does. Because, yes, echo is a big part, but it's, it's, it's not just the echo. It's the timbre of the effect, you know, and you've, you've got the scruff of the fly. You've got the smoothness of um, electrical storm. You know, you've, you've got the dirtiness of uh, the miracle, you know, yeah. and... But it's all signature Edge. So Edge has a lot of signatures. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not a hallmark of someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like you think of like a, just you got made me think of like running to stand still, say Zoo TV era with a very like um, almost romantic sounding echo, but then a beautiful day solo that has that same, it's a, like there's a delay echo going on there that is repeating the notes, filling the space. I think that's what I think... Um, whatever probably metal guitarists or whatever look at and look their down nose down look down their nose at but you know yeah. he's just he can't, he doesn't know what to play so he's filling that space with more echo delay and like whereas for me i i as a guitar player i mean i'm i probably would cop to being lazy and or um unable to play and so the delay definitely helps <laughs> fill that space when i don't know what note to play next but um I think, yeah, Edge's style is just that, well, the famous quote of like, you know, the, from B.B. King of like, you know, every note, every time you hit the string or whatever kind of costs you something. And so you you don't want to necessarily use up all of the notes that you have on a given song right away or whatever. And so I think, yeah, for me, it's just there's a an emotion and a, a feeling and a, I don't know, that uh, that some some of that kind of stuff, the Edge Edge's use of echo and delay speaks to me in, in a neat way, I guess, musically, so. Same. I mean, it, it, it's, it's very much a less is more approach. Um, but, and Edge is no, Edge has never shied away from the fact that, you know, he, he, he got into this style of playing because he, he wasn't interested in shredding, yeah. you know, like, and, and he, he said that all the guitarists around him were shredders and the world doesn't need another dude shredding. Yeah. And he wanted to do something else. So he focused on, on different aspects of the guitar, not necessarily the, the fingerboard technique, but what comes out of the guitar. And that's, he's a pioneer because no one does it like him. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the definition of a pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't picture edge sitting around like, uh, although, I mean, he did it a bit with on that, uh, it might get loud special with Jack Black yeah. and, and Jimmy Page, but don't picture him like the sort of, at least when I was growing up, it was like guitar players, you knew, 
uh, would always grab the guitar. They'd play like a riff and they'd play another riff and they'd play another riff and they'd never actually play a song. It was just all like these riffs that they do. And that always turned me off. And so that's maybe why I, I tuned into edge more too, as a musician or whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't picture him sitting around playing riffs and stuff, but like getting into actual songs and, and things like that. So anyways, now I need to go watch it. Might get loud again. Cause it's, Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I love that documentary. I loved it. Loved it. <laughs> all right. Well, I love it, that part where he's, uh, where he's sound checking. Yes. That, oh, yeah. my favorite. My favorite. <laughs> I love. Okay, well, we can just geek out on Edge for a bit, but like, yeah. <laughs> he's got the like the massive pedal board, which I don't. I think he's downsized a bit. Looked like, but on the last tour, but like the massive pedal board that you know, um, uh, Dallas presumably you know clicks in for him when he's away from it. But like, he's trying to find what I forget which sound effect it was until the end of the world or whatever, right? And yeah, well, like, he. he yeah, he, he, he started with um, Until the End of the World, and he's looking for Pride. And he's like, where's Pride? And then, oh, there it is. And then the camera focuses in on on the LED panel and says Pride. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. His songs are titled on his board. Yeah. That's how you know you've made it. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he didn't have to do it. tells that. you, this yeah. is the song. <laughs> he just got to say, Dallas, can you set it up? And then it's like, yeah, he just probably has, I, I'm sure on tour he has, you know, 80 to 100 songs programmed in there. You can just dial oh, it in. Oh, yeah. Oh, I said, uh, Tula's correcting me. I said, Jack white and i already said jack black not <laughs> should be jack white but <laughs> sorry about that uh focusing on the uh negative instead of the positive man in black or man in white um but yeah the there's so many little fun i think that was an that was maybe an outtake that wasn't actually in the i forget i saw it on yeah. youtube but I, I didn't remember it being in the actual recording or, or whatever of the documentary i but. think it was an outtake or or like a deleted scene or something yeah so yeah. lots of fun nerdy edge stuff if you're i mean guitar yeah. stuff obviously as well but if you're uh, an edge fan who hasn't seen it might get loud it's like go get it right away because there's tons of fun stuff and just seeing um seeing him learn uh was it a whole lot of love that jimmy page was teaching them and then uh jack white was teaching them his the um stripes the white stripes, white stripes um, um Oh, shoot. Seven Nation Army. Seven Nation Army, yeah. 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 Which, that could have been a precursor to Lights of Home for, I mean, there's a bit of a, <laughs> I was saying oh, yeah, Spoon we, Man by Soundgarden, but there's a bit of like a. Oh, and thank there. you for that, man. Spoon, that was killing me. I was like, that's the song that it reminded, it totally did. It well, and totally he's got, okay. <laughs> anybody by now is obviously tuned out if they're annoyed by music stuff, but um, music discussion, but like his, because it is actually, I think, I I don't know enough to say for sure, but like drop D tuning on the bottom D string so that you can just play bar chords on those bottom notes, bottom right. three strings or whatever. And just like, I didn't look, I haven't looked at the BC, BBC special to see how he's playing it, but um, that definitely worked for me anyways, quickly to, to jam along to it or whatever. And, uh, and gives you a nice fat, chunky sound, obviously for that, that effect, but it has a it echoes of, I, of uh spoon man. I don't think it, it's nothing like where it's like obviously inspired by, but just has like, similar kind of style of going down the fretboard uh, a bit more rock than um, you know, we've heard rock styling anyways, than we've heard from edge masked in the lights of home. That's an otherwise kind of like, I don't know, YouTube ballady kind of song almost. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good one. All right. Well, I'm sure we may have said something wrong or <laughs> <laughs> musically, or you're like, why did he say explore when it was supposed to be a strat or whatever? Um, but you can let us know. I'm uh, I Chris on Twitter. Chris is uh, at CJS Endronol. It's on the screen. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and uh, you can tweet at us. You can tweet at the uh, Twitter handle for the at YouTube account is twitter.com slash ATU2. Facebook.com slash ATU2com and Instagram.com slash ATU2com. 
We uh, will be back in a couple weeks, I think, with another episode as yet to be determined. Lots of different topic ideas and things. Of course, we're we're kind of like everybody is chomping at the bit to start predicting and th- analyzing and thinking what the tour is actually going to look like. But it still is what uh, four months away, I think. So we got to sort of pace ourselves a bit, like uh, Red Flag Day or whatever, <laughs> trying to like <laughs> not crash too soon into that one. But um, I know there's lots of uh, lots of fun discussions to be had yet on, about the tour and stuff. Where are you? Uh, what tickets have you bought? Tickets? Or where are you going to see them? I have not. I've I'm. Uh waiting on that one i've i've got a, i've got other travel plans i've got a couple of weddings and right. and um milestone birthdays this summer and plus um the u2 conference right oh yeah we should mention you're well that's actually something we'll be, we will be talking about in a future episode but you're you're going is that i am going i am presenting a you're paper presenting right yes and i am talking about two of my top five favorite things in the entire world in in, in the same paper u2 and star wars Nice. So can you give us a tease as to what the connection there is, or do you want to uh, save yes. it? For- well, yeah. So I'm talking about pop and how it, how we can link it to the prequels. I'll just leave it at that. Whoa. Wait. So the prequels were awful. Are you saying pop is awful? <laughs> I'm not saying pop is awful, but a lot of our fellow fans think right. pop is awful. Okay. That's fair. Okay. So, so is I that make- about that. Edge, the George Lucas of, no, anyways, we'll go, we won't go there. Okay. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. We'll, we'll definitely, uh, be talking about it in advance and then I'm sure we will have you on afterwards, see how it all goes and stuff like that to, to check out. Uh, so you can find past episodes of this podcast, including this episode, goodstuff.fm slash ATU2. This is slash 78, episode 78, uh, links to anything we've discussed and it'll be in the show notes that you can find on your podcast player of choice. If you feel like giving us a rating or review in, um, Apple podcasts, or Google Play Store, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts, that would be awesome. It helps um, just the word get out about the podcast and lets other YouTube fans know that there's a podcast out there for them, besides that other one that gets YouTube on the podcast, actually. Not that we're jealous or bitter. And <laughs> I think that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching out there in Twitchland. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everybody.